0: Welcome to Equus Farm Calls, where we take horse owners along with us to discuss important topics on equine health and care with industry experts. This podcast will provide horse health information from a brand you have trusted for 45 years. I'm Kim Brown, group publisher of the Equine Health Network. The Equus Farm Calls podcast is brought to you in 2022 by Farnum, your partner in horse care. Today, we're talking to Dr. Claire Tunis. She's a PhD with a master's and the owner of Clarity Equine Nutrition, based in Arizona. Dr. Tunis is an equine nutritionist who specializes in creating individual feeding programs for a wide range of horses, including high-performance athletes and senior equines, all the way to horses afflicted with metabolic or other physiological diseases. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Tunis. Hi, Kim. It's great to be here. Well, we know that in every equine industry survey where horse owners are asked to list topics they want more information about, that nutrition is always among the top concerns. We also know that when they have to list costs of owning horses, hay and feed prices are always top concerns. And with the past year's droughts and floods and wildfires, the price of hay and feeds has continued to rise. According to Hay and Forage Grower in late December of 2021, The USDA reported premium grass hay ranging from $110 a ton in Alabama to $345 a ton in Washington, and premium alfalfa ranged from $175 a ton in Minnesota to $330 a ton in Iowa. And for Grange, that same hay and forage grower report said that corn and soybean prices remain strong along with all their related byproducts for feeds. The article said this makes both energy and protein a more expensive feed ingredient. Higher grain prices if they hold may also drive some existing hay acreage to be converted to other commodity crops. Dr. Tunis, none of that bodes well for horse owners needing to buy hay and grain. So let's talk about what owners really need to know about today's horse hay and feed supply and how to get the most out of what they're getting. Yeah, so, absolutely. your <laughs> experience on this?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's getting a little painful out there being a horse owner. Um, I uh, my our board on our horse just went up January first because uh, our barn owner was experiencing a you know, pretty dramatic increase in the cost of hay. I mean, our hay went up four dollars a bale in the space of three weeks, and that looks like it's here to stay for a bit. Um, the uh, it's kind of sacked grain feed that we feed, uh, I was a little shocked to find has gone up $10 a bag <laughs> since I last bought feed at the first weekend in December. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm feeling it personally, that's for sure. And I hear from my clients that, uh, you know, they're starting to feel it too. And I do do some work with some uh Feed companies in a consulting capacity, and I'm hearing from them that certain commodity prices are going up. For example, flax and oats have gone up. There was a very poor harvest in Canada for oats and flax. Um, So they're becoming a little scarce and as a result becoming a little more expensive. And the commodities that would normally come in from overseas uh, that come in by ship, are unfortunately stuck in containers outside of various ports due to, you know, transportation problems and cost of freights going up and, you know, inflation. And, yeah, it's, a, it's pretty tough out there right now. And I, I don't think so what I'm hearing from my sources, commodity sources, that it's not going to get better anytime soon.
0: Well, I mean, and that's what we're all feeling. It's it's really tough. So let's start with hay. I know from experience that even if I'm feeding what I think is the right amount and trying to do it in a good way so the horses have got their heads down and so forth, that they're wasting hay. So how do we keep from wasting hay?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, I think that's as we think about how do we try to save money on our hay bills, you know, it's tempting to try and find cheaper hay, but I see so many people being guilty of wasting the expensive hay that they've already purchased, you know, and that to me, that's like the number one crime, right? (laughs) As I go to Bath, it's been very wet here this winter, both I was also visiting friends in Northern California, it was very wet there this winter too. And, you know, you see these pastures that are muddy and horses trampling hay into the mud and you just, I just, you know, I just see literally pennies, if not dollars disappearing into the ground. So um, yeah, anything you can do to kind of keep that hay off the ground and out of the mud um, is a good one. Um, So there's a number of, you know, hay containing, you know, products out there, whether that's slow feeder containers, hay nets, um, you know, a lot of people will put it in those large kind of plastic water bottle type tugs i mean the horses will often pull that pull the hay out of there so that doesn't always work so well i mean i see people providing these lovely sort of open top feeders and the horses are like there has to be something better at the bottom of this and they're just like tossing the hay out right so you do need something that's actually going to keep the hay in the feeder ideally um you know maybe investing in in putting in some kind of hard packed ground beneath your feeders. So, you know, I grew up in England and <laughs> I would tell you, it's very wet and muddy there all winter. And we used to build kind of platforms at road base with like railroad ties around them. So the horses had to step up out of the mud onto the platform and their hay was, you know, up on that platform. So it was, which was benefit because if they pulled the hay out, it landed on something somewhat clean. Um, and secondly, it got them out of the mud. Because let's be honest, uh, our feeding areas are high traffic. And if you're in a wet climate, it's always a mess, right? So um, so anything like that can, has kind of a double double benefit.
0: Um, yeah, but even, I, when I had my hay and my slow net feeders, I had one quarter horse gelding that was so smart that he would go over and take his head and just butt the slow feeder until all the leaves fell out and then he'd eat them. So yeah. then I ended up having to put a big mat on the ground yeah so he wasn't just chewing up the mud and sand
1: right absolutely i've seen people get pretty clever with those large black uh you know water i don't know how big they are 150 gallon maybe you know water troughs that um they'll hang a hay net on the fence low like on a bottom rail and that but it but hang it inside like a water trough which actually can work really well because, A, they can't get their feet anywhere near the hay net, B, the hay net low, so they're eating with their heads down, kind of where you want them to be, and C, anything that falls out of the hay net then ends up in that, you know, water trough. Um, So that can be a nice combination, you know, relatively affordable too. Um, But yeah, anything, and the round bales, I mean, I just, you know, it's so much waste with round bales and there are you know a number of way feeders out there for round bales that are safe for horses that provide cover I mean really, if you're in a damp climate, your round bales should really have some kind of cover there's a, there is an increased botulism risk with feeding you know round bales that are open to the elements so beyond wasting your hay, there is that concern too, so you know that's another reason to figure out how to kind of cover your round bales so that they don't get you know you don't get spoilage um and, uh, again, trying to kind of contain that waste. It's a, it's a pretty astronomical amount of waste off around round bale. And I, I don't remember the exact percentage. I want to say it, and I might be wrong here, I want to say it's almost like 30%, 40%. It's, it's a high
0: number. I believe the University of Minnesota had some, some they research. They do. That, and that seemed like what they had said. So Yeah, it's it's high. It, it just It just breaks your poor little horse owner pocketbook and your heart when you look out there and they're using it to, you know, they pulled it away and they sleep in it or they use it as the litter box or whatever. Oh
1: gosh, yeah, we have horses at our barn. I mean, you throw their hay, you know, on the ground um, and they literally <laughs> just literally start to like spread out over the top of it and you're like, no, 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 you know, rushing back, don't pee on it, you know? It's like, I know, sometimes they eat it
0: anyway. I, mean, I don't know, anyway. <laughs> uh, I, I don't get that, but yeah, but a lot of times that's, that's gonna be waste. Equus Farm Calls is sponsored in 2022 by Farnum. Whether you ride competitively or for pleasure, Horse Care Loyalty Rewards Program can help you save on some of your favorite products from Farnum, Horse Health, and VitaFlex Pro. From the arena to the trail, get rewarded for buying supplement fly control and grooming products that support your horse's lifestyle. Enroll today to ride your way to savings. Visit HorseCareLoyalty.com dot com to learn more. So let's let's talk about the hay that we are feeding. I know you're a big proponent of weighing hay. Let's let's not feed more or do it by eyeball or guess.
1: Right. I mean, I, I am, and I and I, you know, I I hear all the time, oh, it's too much work, and you know what have you, and I get it. It is, you know, it's a shift in thinking. Well, I know I, you know, I work with a barn that has 50 plus horses. They have their golf cart and they actually welded a scale on the back flat pan scale on the back of their golf cart. They throw a bale of hay on the back. They have their scale. They have it down to a fine up. They feed three times a day and it's all weighed and, you know, the scale goes with them and they put it on, you know, they pull the flakes off, put it on the scale, get it where it needs to be, toss it in the feeder, you know, over the door kind of thing. And it's pretty quick. Um, but it is, it does take a shift in, in, in thinking, you know, the other thing I would encourage people to do too, is to really objectively look at their horses, right? And what is their, what is the condition of their horse? Are they actually feeding too much? Are they, you know, are they feeding their horses too much? Are their horses a little on the fat side? You know, you know, maybe they, maybe the winter is a, an opportunity to let nature do what nature does, right? I mean, horses in the wild gain weight in the spring and summer, and they lose weight in the winter, and then they gain it back in the spring and summer. So if you, you know, if you're over, we like to have our horses look the same year round, which is great. But sometimes I think we, they start sneaking up on that kind of unhealthily overweight, and sometimes we don't see it because we see our horses every day. And I'm, I'm guilty of that. You know, I've certainly yeah. managed horses where I suddenly one day step back and gone, Oh my God, you're fat, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's hard with winter hair. Like you've got to put your hands on your horses. You can't just stand and look at them from a distance. I mean, that's true of horses that are underweight. I mean, how many underweight horses do we know that look pretty good? And then you put your hands on them and you're kind of shocked at, yeah. wow, they've dropped a lot of conditions. So. Owners really need to be putting their hands on their horses in the winter, um, you know, and then you can make informed decisions about, you know, do I actually have a little bit of room where I could cut away two or three pounds of hay a day? That's going to add up, you know, yeah. to a few bales here
0: and there. and It's pennies in your pocket. Um, yeah, and I know that, you know, as, as one of those horse owners, when your horses look at you and go, uh, my hay's gone, now what? Right. And if there's not much graze out there, I mean, what... What can you do if you want to extend the the chewing time? I mean, with, I don't know, you know, slow feeders or or lesser quality. Yeah. I mean, what do you do?
1: Yeah, the slow feeders really are a really big help. I mean, I did a little experiment once. I was at a, a camping situation with a number of other horse owners, and I had a number of these small hole hay nets. Um, I used to actually sell them. I don't anymore. And, um Three or four people purchased them <clears throat> when I was at the, and they, these horses were out. It was really interesting i we they put all their hay in there these hay nets and hung them up and I walked around before went before I went to bed. They got fed about six o'clock and when I walked around at ten o'clock before I went to bed, the only horses that had any hay left were the four horses that had the nets and what was interesting was in the morning um when I got up, I got up before everyone got fed and walking around at five 30 in the morning, the only horses that had any hay were the ones that had the net. And what was interesting was they didn't have very much, but they just had a little bit left in the bottom. And that always makes me happy, right? When you've just got that little bit left where you're like, okay, you could have eaten that if you chose to, like you chose not to, you know? Um, So that, I mean, not all horses, I mean, we have our pony, it's gone from the net probably by midnight. The net is definitely empty by seven o'clock the next morning. So don't get me wrong; that doesn't work for all of them, but um, it, they definitely help. They definitely help.
0: Yeah, and and what about the quality of hay? I mean, gosh, you know, we all want to feed that beautiful green alfalfa to all of our quarters, horses, and I, you know, I've, I've had quarter horses the last few years, and they're they're just air ferns. So, yeah. what what do you do when? you know, when your horses maybe doesn't need that much, you know, energy and protein and just calories.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's like that the lower the nutritional quality of the forage you feed, the more of it you can feed, right? Because it's less calories per pound. So if you're trying to get to say a 20 mega calorie per day requirement, and you're feeding a hay that's one mega calorie per pound, well, you can only feed 20 pounds per day. But if you're feeding a, you know, a uh, slightly lower nutritional value hay that's 0.8 megacalories per pound, Well, now you can feed, you know, haven't done the math off the top of my head, but, you know, 22 pounds per day. So it's just that little, you know, difference can put a couple more pounds in front of them every day and give them that little bit extra chew time. So, you know, when we talk about quality, I'm not talking of, you know, I'm not advocating that you should be feeding moldy or dusty hay or hay with trash. in it. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about quality. We always want clean hay. Um, I'm just talking about nutritional quality so you know the more mature the plant is when it's cut the stemmier it is and the less digestible it is and so it's going to um, generally have a lower calorie content lower protein content and they're going to be able to eat more of that uh, hay now obviously like everything there's sort of a tipping point if you have a hay that's you know way too mature and stemmy then there's a the potential for an impaction colic risk so there's sort of a Kind of like like everything, there's a sweet spot, um, but a lot of us, you know, feed hay that's really very high quality. Um, you know, again, growing up in a place with a pretty wet climate, where you know you're lucky to have three or four days dry days to rub together to make hay. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I when I moved to California, then I'd, you know people be complaining about the quality of their hay, and I'm like, yeah, no idea. Like, you know, I I just you know. I admit I remember growing up and feeding and talk about poor quality, like we actually diluted molasses. We soaked hay to get rid of the dust because it was dusty. And then we poured dilute molasses over it so they would eat it. Wow. Now that is not something that I would uh, recommend doing, but that was the quality of hay we had that winter. You know, you just have to you have to work with what you had. Um you know, and so I come like, here and people, are, you know, we have such great weather on the West Coast for making hay most of the time. And, you know, people complaining about hay quality. And I'm like, oh, my golly, let me t- let me talk to you about hay quality.
0: <laughs> well, Let's let talk about that rain a little bit, because, you and I have talked before about horse people are a little sometimes snobby about knowing, oh, gosh, it's been wet conditions. I'm worried that hay got rained on. sorry Right. What, What is the reality? What's the the fact? Let's bust this myth.
1: Yeah. So, you know, you don't want to bale hay when it's too wet, because if the moisture content is too high, this seems kind of, it's kind of a bizarre, perhaps not intuitive initially. If it's too wet when you bale it, it actually gets hot and ferments um and you know that that grass is still alive and there's bacteria on the surface of it when you bale it and those bacteria are pretty active and they you know their their metabolism is still going on and so heat is generated in that in that wet uh grass if it's baled too wet and it will generate heat and and it's pretty shocking the amount of heat it can generate i mean i think most people are aware of hay bond fires yeah. where hay is self combusted due to being baled too wet. August is a prime month for hay bonfires um, where hay gets put up too wet and it self combusts. Even if it, you know, hope, let's, let's hope it doesn't get that far and it doesn't self combust, but let's say it's baled a little too wet, it will still get hot and you get what's called myod reactions where the sugars in the hay, you get a browning effect. And um, the hay will actually change colors. So when you look at it, you'll find it, it's kind of, it kind of goes a kind of a browner color. You might get some, you know, black spotting on the hay. You'll actually get uh, like mold, like dust on the hay. Um, and that's actually from it having been, you know, you might think that's from it being too dry, but sometimes that can actually be from it being too wet and, um, and then, and then drying um, and it having heated. So that's why we worry about it being too wet when it's baled, because um, you can end up with a lot of mold um, and just nutritional damage, too, from the heat that's generated and the risk of fire. Um, so, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a reasonable concern that people have about not wanting to feed hay that's, that's got wet. But what we have to understand is, is that if you cut your hay... And it's laying out on what we call the windrows where it's kind of in all the like, you know, lines in the field when you see hay laying out there drying. If it gets rained on at that point, as long as it's given additional time to dry and get to the correct dryness, it's fine. You know, in fact, what's interesting is that some of the water-soluble carbohydrate may actually get washed out of that hay So if you have, you know, an easy keeping type of horse where you're trying to actually minimize the amount of sugar that's being concerned, it's possible that that rained on hay, if then cured and put up properly, could be a really good option. Um, And is often cheaper because the majority of people don't want to feed that to their horses. Um, So, yeah, there's there's rained on hay is it's often fine and then sometimes because of the rain um it's hard for them to get machinery into the field so quite often what you'll find is often why the first cutting of the year can tend to be a little stemmier and stuff is it's harder sometimes to get in the field in the first thing in the spring um because the ground is still wet so you're not able to get in there at that ideal moment that you would like when the plants are just right for cutting you're delayed a week or so and it becomes more mature and um you know, that can, that'll have low nutritional value too. So sometimes rain can be your friend.
0: Equus Farm Calls is sponsored in 2022 by Farnham. Whether you ride competitively or for pleasure, Horse Care Loyalty Rewards Program can help you save on some of your favorite products from Farnham, Horse Health, and VitaFlex Pro. From the arena to the trail, get rewarded for buying supplement fly control and grooming products that support your horse's lifestyle. Enroll today to ride your way to savings. Visit HorseCareLoyalty.com to learn more. So so what happens, and, and a lot of people are worried about this year, and you come up short on, hey, there's just yeah. none to be bought. So yeah. what do you do?
1: No, that is a tough one. And I certainly know, uh, you know, again, contacts in Northern California that tried to buy hay early in the fall and their, their squeezes getting through the winter and their, you know, hay providers said they wouldn't do it because they wouldn't have enough hay in February to then sell to their other clients and subsequently spoke to people who own land and lease it to hay growers and they confirm that yes, in fact, their irrigation was down so much, they lost an entire harvest and yields were down on each other, you know, other harvest and a lot of ground was left fallow. Um, so yeah, there's, there could be some people that really find themselves coming up short, especially those who aren't able to buy a lot of hay, you know, in the summer to get them through the winter, the people that are buying by the bale type thing that, you know, that, that that's going to get expensive and it, and it, You know there may not be a lot of options out there for some people um so you know you can kind of cut your hay so to speak whereby you know maybe you were feeding the 20 pounds of hay per day to your horse but now you're going to feed some other kind of fiber source um instead so let's say you feed you know five pounds of hay pellets and 15 pounds of hay you know, to kind of get you to that same place without having, you know, because the pellets can be trucked in more easily from further distances away. You know, it's, it's, you can get, you can very eat more easily. Um, don't take up as much space, right? So you can get a lot more bags of hay on a, on a, on a truck kind of thing. And it's, and it's easier also to stack up on, on hay sometimes, um, you know, People may be able to buy hay pellets and put it in their garage at home. My husband would not be impressed if I came home with bales of hay, but he might be okay with a bag of hay pellets. (laughs) The garage is his. (laughs) So (laughs) it has other kinds of horsepower in it. So, um, you know, so there are hay pellets, beet pulp. Um, You know, there's been research showing that you can feed up to almost half the horse's uh, hay intake or forage intake per day as, you know, beet pulp. So that's another option. Some of the complete feeds.
0: Stop because there's always the do you wet it? Do not wet it. Beet pulp camps. So what is your Uh, nutrition? Yes. Do you say?
1: Yes. I always, you know, I will always soak it if I can. You know, I mean, for me, it's like, why wouldn't you? We're always looking to get water into our horses and in the winter, you know, we're just as concerned about them drinking in the winter as we are in the summer. And impaction and colics can sometimes be a bigger issue in the winter than they are in the summer. So I'll always soak it if I can. But I think we have to keep in mind that what we forget is there's a lot of feeds out there that have beet pulp in them and nowhere on the bag does it say you have to soak it. So um, you do not have to soak beet pulp. I personally would always soak beet pulp pellets um, the shreds and there's some brands of very fast uh, soaking beet pulp. Um, those I'm not so concerned about, but the pellets I would always soak. But there's a lot of feed, a commercial feed out there that has loose beet pulp shreds in it. You know, that nowhere does it say that has to be fed, soaked. Um, right. And I, you know, I, I've I've certainly fed it dry myself, shreds dry myself, but... At the same time i would soak it if i had the ability to why not you know it's another way of getting water into our horses and like which is always a good idea and a lot of horses really enjoy sloppy food so (laughs) or wet food it's a great way to hide you know get your powdered supplements to stick i use beet pulp with a lot of clients sometimes just as a base to put you know powdered supplements in because a little bit goes a really long way you know a dry cup of beet pulp adds barely any calories to the ration, but can create quite a lot of volume, and it's a great way to hide, you know, powdered joint supplements or your electrolyte or salt or, you know, whatever else you want to get into them
0: without having to feed, you know, a commercial grain necessarily. Okay. And something else you and I had talked about before is keeping in mind that if you're trying to burn less calories in your horses in winter, which why you're feeding them the hay. Maybe looking at your blankets.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Blankets is contentious. Talk about beet pulp being contentious blankets these days. We're, topic, we're picking up all the hot topics. But um, yes, you know, the bottom line with blankets is, is that they're insulating, right? So they hopefully, if you get the blanket weight correct, you're helping your horse stay warm. I think it's important to understand that horses do a very good job of keeping themselves warm if they have a full coat. Um, you know, they what's called pilo erect their hair. So their hair stands up on end and traps air between it. And if you put on a light blanket in a very cold climate on that horse, that's got a full coat, you're actually going to minimize its ability to do that, you know, lift its hair and keep itself warm. So sometimes they're better off without blankets, but certainly if you get that right, um, your blanket is going to help keep your horse warm, so he's not going to have to burn calories to keep warm, so more calories can go towards maintaining body weight. Um, I think personally, where this is the most useful is when you have those harder keeping senior horses. Yeah. You know, and maybe some of your really young horses too. I think we forget that our, some of our young horses um, don't have a lot of body fat and it's like both ends of the scale don't thermoregulate as well. Older horses don't thermoregulate as well in heat or cold. And our young horses sometimes struggle in the cold. We don't have a lot of body fat. Body fat is insulating. Um, So that's where the blankets really help. Now, you know, here we are trying to talk about how you save hay, but I think it's worth, you know, noting that, when the weather is cold, feeding more hay does help your horses stay warmer because hay is fermented in the hindgut. It is a process of fermentation, and it's not 100% efficient. And so energy is lost during that fermentation process, and it's lost as heat. And so it hel- it does help keep the horse warm from the inside out. So, you know, if you are in a cold climate, I do think it's just worth mentioning that that is that is the better way to keep them warm versus feeding them concentrates a lot of people you know may may go towards feeding grain and yes calories wise you're putting in those calories that might help maintain that body weight but grain is not fermented you know it's digested in the small intestine enzymatically and so it's not digested so you don't get that same internal heat generation off a pound of grain as you will off a pound of hay right you, know, you might get more total calories going to the horse from the pound of grain, but you won't get the internal heat. So again, you have to look at you know what's more important, generating that internal heat. If so, then feeding extra hay. If you're struggling to maintain body weight and you need calories to maintain body weight, then maybe that pound of grain is actually the better choice because the horse is going to get more calories from that
0: than they will from the pound of hay. Well, while we're talking about grain, you know, we we mentioned that, you know, some of the ingredients for grains are hard to come by and they're getting expensive. And so that might make some people go, oh, well, let me just go and buy up what I can now and feed it. But there really is. I mean, how long does feed last? Yeah, that's a great question. I was certainly tempted,
1: as I said my at
0: the beginning, my
1: personal grain went up $10 a bag. And my first instinct was, let's go buy some grain. Um, now, cause it's probably going to get you more expensive. Um, you really, you know, it, it does have a finite shelf. It doesn't last forever, right? So generally the recommendation is you want to use it within three months of the manufacture date and you know, people are, well, how the heck do I know when it was manufactured, manufacturers do put dates on their bags or they should be. Um, oftentimes it's stamped into the paper seam on the top or bottom of the bag, um, And it may take a bit of decoding. Sometimes it's pretty obvious. Sometimes it's a Julian date, which is, uh, you know, an unusual. You can Google Julian. I know one manufacturer uses a Julian date. And that is like, it's the day in the year. So it's like, you know, it'll be like three hundred and you know forty three or whatever. You know, so it's like you then you know what actual day of the year it was made. There's normally also a code on there for where it, what plant it was manufactured at. If you're using a larger retailer that has multiple mills, um, and I, you know, keep your feedbacks You know, this is another one of my little tips I always tell people because you need that piece of information if there's ever a recall you need to know where your product came from which mill it came from which batch it was from somewhere on that bag is an identifier that tells you where it was manufactured the date it was manufactured and um if there's ever a recall that's kind of the information that gets put out you know it's like we you know a national retailer may have had an issue in one mill you know and so it's like you need to figure out, if did your feed come from that one mil? And you'll be able to tell that. They'll put out a code and they'll say, you know, bags with this code. Well, if you're somebody who takes your feed sack, tips it into a trash can, and then throws your feed sack away, now you don't know because you don't have the evidence anymore. So if you're someone that does that, snap a photograph of that code before you throw the
0: feed away, you know, and keep it on your phone. Well, talking about storing, dumping feed or whatever, I Yeah. Mean, it's going to be just like with hay. We want to store our feed so that we're not wasting it either. So what what are some tips you have on proper feed storage?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've lost feed leaving sacks on the concrete and then it got damp. And then when I opened the bag, it was moldy. And that was a great use of my money. Um, so, you know, good, you know, those metal trash cans are good. Um, you know, rodent proof is important. Um I actually like right now. Um, we have a goat at our facility who likes to get out and ends up in the feed room. So I actually have a, a bungee cord on the top of my trash can that goes through the handles, through the lid handle, and attaches to the handle because he is a fiend at getting the lid off the grain. And you come in and he's like pulled the whole thing over and you know eats a lot of it and whatever. So and, and that you know it's not just a goat sometimes, right? Sometimes it's a horse that gets out. So or yeah. Exactly.
0: You're in. Yeah,
1: right. You forget to shut the feed room door or whatever. So yes, I like if I'm doing cans, I like something that I can actually secure the lid on. I think that's useful. Um, yeah, I mean, keeping it off the floor, you know, pallets, if you, if you have to, you know, if you do buy a large amount, you know, put it on a wood pallet so it's not sitting on the ground, keep it away from the walls so there's airflow around it um, is a good idea as well. Um, But yeah, some kind of and and make sure when you empty your I've seen some pretty disgusting trash cans, you know, where people, especially if you're feeding molasses type feed, they just keep tipping it in there and tipping it in there. You know, at some point, the bottom uh, gets pretty bad and make sure you empty it before you put your next bag in. You know, I've been I've certainly been guilty of that occasionally, too, where you're thinking, oh, I've got, you know. A fifth of a can left, and I've got this bag. I'll just tip it in. Well, you know, now the bit that's at the bottom. By the time you get to the bottom again, is you know, older yeah. than it should be. So really, empty that can, bang it out. You know, maybe brush it out with a stiff brush, and then um, if you wash it, just be careful it's dry before you refill it. Yeah, you know, because you don't want that wet in there. You know, it's yeah. tempting to be great and you know, clean everything, wash everything out, but. Yeah, I can backfire especially you know you do that in the summer and it maybe dries in no time at all here in arizona you wash it and 10 minutes later it's dry you do the same thing and do the same thing now in january you're twiddling your thumbs for probably you know at least 24 hours for it to dry so yeah that's a
0: good point well i am actually going to stop and i know our our audience and myself because i'm one of those nutrition nerds i i just i feel like i always learn something when i'm talking to you and and I love learning about nutrition because I feel like I can always do a better job with my horses. So we're probably going to come back and, and meet up with you again, Dr. Tunis, to try and get a few more tips on some other subjects. So thank you for joining us today. You're welcome.
1: It was a pleasure. I'd love to come back. It would be, it would be fun. I always love sharing all my little tips and things. and. Uh...
0: Yeah, it's always great to visit with you. It's fun talking to a nutritionist who's a horse owner. I mean, that's, you get it. So it's, it's fun. Oh, to I produce. do. And, I,
1: and I'm very willing to be honest. I've made you know, some of the mistakes. I see my clients making mistakes. I've made some of the mistakes. You know, we all,
0: you know, we're all doing the best we can. But we can all do better and learn more. Yeah. But anyway, big thanks to our audience for joining us today on the Equus Farm Calls podcast. We're really excited to launch this podcast in 2022, and we welcome your input. So if you have ideas for topics you want to cover, even if it's something for Dr. Tunis to talk about nutrition, just send me an email at kbrown, that's the letter K, Brown, at equinenetwork.com with any of your comments or suggestions. And we want to let you know that Equus Farm Calls is a production of the Equine Network. Thanks from Equus, and we'll talk to you soon.